A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? So I interviewed Ali Reza Sohofi, a data scientist focused on building the data platform at Morantics Momentum. Morantics has uh, an interesting model, and they are building a uh, platform called Squirrel, which is open source. You can find a link to that in the show notes. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Ali Reza's point of view, some of which were written directly by Ali Reza himself. Where number one, where possible, look to build your platform in a loosely coupled way. It will make it easier to extend and evolve. And domains can replace pieces, mix and match components, or even extend the functionalities when it makes sense. Number two, it's easy to fall into the trap of building a platform that is hard to evolve and support. Be very conscious about what you want to include and not include in your platform. Don't try to solve every challenge with a point solution. Blanca Mayayo and Pablo Duval also made this same point in their episode. Number three, to effectively share data and the information it represents, software engineers' domains need to really understand their own data, including data modeling. That can't be easily outsourced. A platform team's job is to build the tooling so those domains only need to deal with the data, not the data engineering. Number four, if you want a scalable platform, in many senses of the word scalable, your platform should be relatively generic. It must also be easy to extend and augment. Focus on providing flexibility and ease of customization. One size definitely won't fit all. Number five, 
Packages and templates are both useful, but templates are typically more user-friendly and easier to customize. Start with templates when possible. Number six, if there is a need for customizing or extending a package or a template, it's better to first build it within a domain and with the help of the platform team if necessary. The generalized version of the new feature is then contributed back to the platform. This leads to a more integrated domain platform, more robust first release of new features in the platform, knowledge sharing, and avoiding bottlenecks that may arise if relying only on the central platform team. Number seven, platform teams need to A, dog food the platform. You will learn far more by using it. B, provide good methods of communications for domains to give feedback and requests. And C, find better ways to exchange context with your domains regularly, e.g. pair programming and scheduled informal chats. Number eight, the platform should consist of several tools that should not only work well together, but should also work well with a wider ecosystem of open source tools. Solutions that try to offer end-to-end coverage usually fall short when it comes to flexibility and changing requirements and, and business environment. Composable components that can work together is the way to go. Number nine, finally, tools should be opinionated, i.e. encode the best practices, but at the same time, they should be hackable to the very core. Layered design where domain teams can choose the abstraction level which is appropriate for them is a good choice. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Ali Reza Sohofi here, who's a data scientist working on data platforms at Morantix Momentum. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of different things, but one of the big ones that we're going to talk about is how do you build a platform for reusability across use cases? We've talked about this a couple of different times in, in some episodes, but I want to get into some real specifics, right? Because um, and and uh, Ali is going to talk a little bit about uh, what Morantix Momentum does and and that and how this all ties in. But um, they're working with a lot of clients um, to bring on their use cases onto their their own data platform and kind of managing it for them for a, a little bit less data mature teams. Um, and so they're <laughs> rather than building a point solution for every single. Uh, customer, they're really trying to figure out exactly and, and have been working on figuring out how to make it so that you can bring on additional use cases and build, oh, we need this new capability. Okay, let's not just build it for this one specific use case. Let's make sure that we can do that. So how how can you focus on it being you know, the general purpose, even for advanced use cases? And you know, how do you focus as well on the ways of working and the process, not just technologies and, and you know, what are the signals you need for 
new capabilities, voiding tech debt. Then we'll jump into a little bit about um, you know data contracts and APIs and how we evolve those and how they they work kind of differently within the, the data space. Some some stuff about computational governance and then just some general ideas that will be woven throughout about how can you work with data teams that aren't that data mature. <laughs> so a lot of different things that we're going to cover, a lot of uh, interesting topics. But um, Ali, before we jump in, if you could give people a bit of a uh, background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me and uh, very excited to talk to you today. Uh, my name is Ali Reza. I'm uh, working as data scientist for Mantis Momentum and for the past uh, around one year. Uh, I've been leading the development of uh, a software called Squirrel, uh, our built-in data platform, our in-house built data platform, which got open source recently. And uh, yes, uh, Marantix, just uh, a general context about what we do. Uh, Marantix Momentum builds end-to-end -end solution for machine learning applications. And uh, we uh, help customers, we help our customers from the ideation to the monitoring. So the whole life cycle of machine learning products uh, is covered by us. That's great. And, and I think, um, as we talked about in the pre-call, you're working with customers that aren't ready to build their own end-to-end <laughs> ML, right? Um, yeah. So I think that that might even be a good place to jump off into of talking about how do you think about providing all the capabilities that you need for something like machine learning, but that is packageable for, for other people. And how do you build that ar around reusability? So I'll give you a specific question there rather than a super broad topic, but like, how do you think about those interfaces? Are you typically sharing um, just the output or are you putting it into um you know, some what, what's the UX that they actually consume from this? Or are you building the actual application as well? And they don't even have to, to deal with the application. Uh, so the final output is usually uh, an API where they get called and get predictions, obviously. Uh, the most uh, yeah complicated part is how do we connect with their data? How do we handle the data? How do we... Uh, basically transform the operational data and make it ready for machine learning models. And how, to, how do we do that continuously with uh, ML ops, for example, with uh, data ops technologies? Uh, so um, it pretty much depends on the type of the data and uh, for different customers, uh, it's vastly different. So we have customers that basically have um, CSV files, and this is the state of their data maturity, and we have to deal with that. And we have customers who have complicated, very uh, mature data endpoints. Um, yeah, through GraphQL, for example, through uh, database connectors, and we can connect easily to the uh, already very well structured data and um, start building from there. That's great, and and I think when that when people think about data mesh, um, people think about building those common connectors, those common input ports, right? That's the kind of data mesh terminology of how you ingest the data before you start to transform it. So 
Um, I think that's a good place to start to think about reusability, right? You know, every single use case could be very <laughs> easy. What? How have you approached making that? Because um, that is the most complicated part in in certain ways for a lot of of uh, people of making it so that you don't have to again build for point solutions. So, how do you think about? You know, do you have any tips or do you have anything that? Maybe you ran across that you would say, hey, we did this wrong the first time. Like <laughs> everybody else, like look at, at this and, and uh, don't repeat our mistakes or anything like that. What what are some patterns or anti-patterns around um, taking it from, okay, we're going to take in your data to actually, okay, now we've got our hands on the data and this is going to be a nightmare to ingest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we, we tried a lot of different things, uh, but the one that uh, worked out at the end and it's working um, pretty good is uh, to separate the driver part, the ingestion part from the rest of the system so that we can uh, build a connector specific to a data set, specific to a customer for a different use case, depending on, on the source, on the type of the data and everything else from that point is the same for all of the customers, pretty much. Uh, so um, the abstraction uh, that is provided, for example, to our internal tooling system, uh, we call it driver. And uh, as a domain team, uh, as a member of a domain team, uh, pretty much you have like these uh, templates of uh, how the pipeline is constructed, how the uh, data has to be ingested, transformed, and then down the line uh, fed to into, into the models. And the only part that really you have to take care of as a, a domain team member is to implement the driver so that you can ingest the data from different types of sources. And uh, this is designed in a way that works very well with the other steps in the pipeline so that you can, for example, stream the data from the connector fit it into different executors, different platforms, and then consume it down the line. And when you when you think about those drivers, like how complicated are, are you typically having to do? Because this is something where some people are finding places for reuse, right? And maybe you might have some generic connectors. I'm guessing you probably have some generic connectors to like CSV files, right? <laughs> hey, we can just dump in the CSV file and you might have some um, little bits of, of uh, difference as to exactly how the data is ingested via that driver. But if you're connecting to SAP, is it really that different from one customer to the next? Or if you're connecting to Salesforce, is it that different from one to the next? Because the actual connection mechanism is probably the same. You know, you're making API calls, but the data internally and the the way it's structured and things like that can be vastly different. So, have you found wh where have you found the reuse in actually building out these drivers? Uh, yes, uh, you're correct that there are built-in drivers. Uh, there are uh, drivers for CSV files for database uh, connections, and they're pretty much uh, the same. Uh, the part that is actually uh, understanding the data, the meaning of the data from the customer is typically the business logic that the domain team implements. And uh, so far, maybe it changes in the future, but so far um, it's the case that 
you cannot really build reusable logic across different uh, projects because, uh, as you said, the data, um, the schema of the data uh, is vastly different from customers to customers. And it's really uh, something that tightly is, is tightly related to the business logic, to the use case that we want to implement. And it's, it's very, really difficult to generalize. Uh, but uh, the good thing about having a driver is that uh, as a domain team, you only need to provide this business logic and the rest is taken care of the, by the platform. So um, you write how you want to consume the data, what is the schema of the data, and you provide this to the platform. Uh, and basically the, the extraction of the data, the transformation is taken care of by the platform. So, I mean, do you think of that as each, each one is kind of the pipeline to around that, that driver is a pipeline and that pipeline is a first class concern, or do you think of it more as it's it's almost like the driver itself isn't the thing that matters. It is the business logic and the business logic is just kind of, it's communicated to the platform via the, the driver. And so like, cause I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, um, when I'm thinking about data mesh, people are going from domain to domain to domain, and we want to provide them with reusable tools and templates and things like that. But you know, they own the business logic, they own, you know, the domain owns that transformation and thing. Are you kind of pushing that ownership still of the, you're the ones who really actually know this stuff to them. And so you're, you're kind of forcing them to think through that. Um, like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how you can go, like how easily it is to go from to a new domain and say, hey, we need you to do this, right? Do they already understand the business logic? Do they understand how to do the data modeling appropriately to set themselves up for these use cases? Or do you have to work with them as well? And, and you know, as things change, how easy is it to change that driver? Mm. Uh, I think there are two aspects to that. One is the uh, domain team being data literate and capable of uh, dealing with uh, data in an appropriate manner. And the other is uh, the separation between the, the business logic and the computational governance that has to support that business logic. Uh, so for us, it's uh, always the case that uh, the people who work on the domain, they have a deep knowledge about um, how to appropriately uh, model the data, how to handle the data, um, what are the requirements to transform the data, but uh, they really don't need to think about uh, how to operationalize that. So uh, they work on um, business logic, they write the business logic, and the business logic is get, gets uh, uh, get wrapped into uh, some abstraction provided by the platform, and uh, then it can be uh, executed on uh, scalable and elastic uh, compute clusters, for example. Uh, so um, yeah, um, I think if your uh, domain team don't have the knowledge, that would be um, a different kind of problem. But for us, it's mostly 
uh, how to enable generalist uh, developers to perform uh, data transformation and publishing data products in a self uh, self service manner. So, are are you working them then with them to mature them, or basically, if somebody's not mature enough for that, they're not ready to come talk to you? Like, I'm, I'm what what we're struggling with a lot on the on the data mesh side is we're asking software engineers domain, you know, people in the domains to do this data modeling aspect. And and we're asking them to kind of own the transformations and things. So a little bit more than what you're talking about. But with that, most of them aren't that, (laughs) haven't thought about like how the data might be used, how, um, you know, I think what you're talking about as well is the domain is the end consumer of their own data which is an interesting way to kind of get people to, you know, when you think about the ML application or, or things like mm. that, um, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but in a lot of cases that that probably is. So, uh, or if I'm wrong, you know, correct me on that, but where we're struggling a lot is getting people to that capability of understanding the data. Like, are they already at that level or do you have somebody that's kind of working with Morantics that's, that's in that team that's embedded in that team that can help them along that path or like, how do you get them to that level? Or if they're not at that level, then they're not ready for you. Like kind of, is there that dichotomy there? If I, if I uh, understand the question. So um, the question is uh, how do we ensure that the domain team members of the domain teams uh, have the knowledge to appropriately model the data and transform the data. Correct. Yeah. So um, I, I think uh, it's definitely a matter of training. Uh, there are, for us, it's um, internal training uh, to enable them. But a bigger part, uh, to be honest, is building tools that are uh, high level enough so that domain team members uh can basically uh, be self-sufficient without having very deep knowledge about data engineering topics, for for example, or uh, without uh, having to think about, oh, how do I scale my data pipeline to 100 nodes? You know, these are uh, the burden that is already taking, uh, taken away from uh, domain experts. Uh, but I agree with you that uh, not everything can be taken away and they have to be... Uh, aware of uh, how to model the data properly. This is something that uh, really cannot be abstracted from a domain. It's part of the domain uh, job. So, uh, and I think uh, one uh, more point about uh, data uh, data products in the ML world. Um, So we kind of uh, ended up building our own um, if you wish, um, a data, I, I, I don't know really how to call it. It's not a data format, but it's a way, a, an opinionated way of storing the data in a way that is uh, easy to work with and it's performant. And it's working for most of the deep learning applications out of the box. And maybe we can get into that uh, in, in the part of how to design tools, how to design um, reusable APIs. Uh, maybe I can give more detail about that uh, in the in the other uh, part of the talk. Yeah, I think that that would be helpful. I think so. You know, kind of reflecting it back on on a lot of what you're saying is that 
if the if the domain isn't actually aware of their data and really how that's going to be used or what what's the uh, concept, they just need to be trained, right? They need to be there. And what you're you're focused on is is kind of what a lot of people in, in data mesh are trying to do uh, on the platform side is make it so that they don't have to care about the data engineering aspects versus. Mm you care about the transformation because that's what you have to care about of like what actually happens with the data, but you don't care about how it happens. You make it so that that works and that's part of their process flow and that they can, you know, and, um, Jamak has talked about the, um, the transformations as code and the data as code and, and things like that of that they can just code instead of, you know, I don't know if yours is low code, no code or anything like that, but, um, a lot of times that makes it so then they don't really, it's a black box and they just kind of push things into a black box and that makes them nervous and things like that versus like, can we actually just code? And, you know, I want this to, I don't care if I'm pushing through a hundred or a hundred thousand or a hundred million. I want the platform to be the one that knows that it's got to react to that versus I want to push through like, what's got to happen with the data. Is that kind of how you're, you're thinking about it as well? Um, e- yes, it is. Uh, the no-code or low-code is an interesting point that I can discuss it a bit further. Uh, so uh, I think for, um, for many use cases, especially if you want to stay uh, generic and flexible enough for advanced use cases without uh, sacrificing the reusability, it's really important to give uh, control to the domain teams to hack the tools or to hack the platform that you provide to them. Because if imagine that someone has a tight deadline and uh, they have to deliver something, the last thing that they really want to deal with is a platform that doesn't let you do what they want to do. Right? If they hit that point, they would just stop using the platform or find a another way to, to achieve their goals. So uh, I think it's really important that uh, the platform uh, provides uh, the flexibility and the ease of use without hiding too much detail, right? So, or at least allowing the user to customize the behavior if they need to, or uh, if they know how to do that, maybe. Um, and I think this is the approach that um, yeah we uh, we try to implement. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny how aligned you are with data mesh. I don't think you did that as much on on purpose when you're kind of building out a lot of these things. But it's it's because exactly that extensibility and that you know uh, we had um, the folks from Nav Gjoran uh, and and Auden, um, and they were talking about uh, Gioran is is a traditional like data guy, right? He's like, I did data engineering, I, I I love this, and then I moved into product management. And he was like, I was really really happy that I my product management first bit was on just the software platform, the software engineering platform, before I tried to move towards the data platform, because I can build the best data platform out there. I can get our team to do all of these things and no software engineer will want to use it, right? So exactly what you're talking about of tying into their ways of working is so important and that not restricting them. Um, uh, Jess, uh, Jessatron or Jessica Kerr um, talked about um, 
agency, not autonomy. Like autonomy is like, here's, you know, just go do the thing, like go figure it out yourself versus, Hey, we're going to give you easy paths. But if you've got to go off the path, we're going to give you the extensibility and the capability to, to kind of go out there. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, it's, it's difficult to talk about these things in the abstract. And so, you know, we can just tell people to go look at squirrel because it's, it's open source and all that. But, um, that how do you how do you design for an interface where people can take the easy path if they if they want it and if it's the right choice for them but that it's also extensible like how do you think about that on from a user experience standpoint and then how do you think about when somebody does have to go off of that path can you subsume that back into the platform so that the next time they have to do it, they don't have to build that same thing or that there is that capability. Like you're, you're looking for additional capabilities to add and that, that you're kind of using them to tell that they're developing the thing that you then have to develop as part of the standard platform instead. Yeah, you, you kind of asked five questions now and uh, all of them very interesting and I want to address all of them in detail. So let's start... <laughs> Uh, let's start from uh, distinguishing between the capabilities that the platform provides through templates and the capabilities that is provided through um, packages, for example, that you can install. So uh, we, uh, our internal platform is usually um, basically there, there are platform. Uh, uh, sorry, there are. Uh, the infrastructure is generated by a template in the first place. And uh, there is a two-way information propagation between the platform and the domain team in a sense that when, uh, let's imagine a point in time now, I can go back again uh, uh, how it was uh, in the beginning, but now as a domain team, uh, you create a new project, you create a new software, from a template. So all of the learnings, all of the best practices regarding the infrastructure is already encoded in that uh, template and you get that for the starting point. Uh, but then let's say uh, you hit a point that you have to customize that or you have to introduce a new functionality into uh, the, the infrastructure that you need. Maybe you're infrastructure needs is very custom and uh, it's currently not supported by the platform. Um, so these are uh, the capabilities that are basically first built into the domain teams and then contributed back to the platform. So that, um, and it doesn't really happen. Most of the time it happens with the, uh, at least consultation, maybe sometimes contribution from the platform team um, but this gives the, this serves as a proof of concept sort of, uh, and, uh, so the code that is, uh, contributed to the platform is already tested, at least in one case. So it's at least not, uh, very not robust, uh, if you will. And, uh, so this working mode that platform team provides the templates and then domain team work on maybe custom or advanced use cases, and then contribute that uh, back to the platform. This is one part of the story and is uh, mostly applicable to the infrastructure design. 
The second part, uh, which is related to Squirrel, is when uh, the self-serve platform is basically provided as a software package rather than as a template. And that requires a completely different mindset, uh, how to design basically the interfaces, how to design the component of, uh, let's say, Squirrel, so that people can extend it and uh, also provide a way to contribute back the learning into uh, the host project, which is in this case a Squirrel. So uh, Squirrel, for example, is divided into, as I also mentioned before, into uh, a driver. Uh, and there is a concept of storage. So storage is an abstract component in there, which is provided like there are uh, storage solutions. Uh, but you can contribute and extend it or change it in uh, different projects. Uh, and these are very loosely coupled together. So in essence, you can just use driver without the need to care about anything else in Squirrel. Or you can just use a storage or you can combine them, but they are designed to, uh, to interoperate and like be able to work together in an efficient manner. So this enables uh, the domain teams, uh, if they have advanced case, let's say they have a need to consume data from, I don't know, uh, SharePoint or consume data from a source that we never had before. So they develop the driver and this driver can be uh, shared with the community through a mechanism uh, through the uh, basically pushing back the code to the platform if it's usable for many cases, uh, or it can also be uh, through the plugin architecture installed as a separate package. So Squirrel also provide a way to um, for you to extend the platform as a separate package, which is also pluggable, installable uh, within the host project. And there was one more point. Um, remind me if I forget. Uh, the last point. This is the problem with the way that I ask the questions is that I end up <laughs> asking way too many. So, um, I mean, you were talking about the capabilities of templates versus packages. And I think that's really interesting of like how you have made it so that, because I think this is something in, in data mesh that people talk about on the platform side of there are certain domains that want to do a lot of things themselves and that you've given them the ability to take parts of this and not use the whole, and that it's still viable and, and useful and, and helpful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that modularity and that um, kind of loosely coupled, as you mentioned, that's kind of the whole point of, of data mesh in, in all aspects, is that everything in data has been so, so tightly coupled that it just doesn't work. It doesn't make it scalable, right? Mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't doesn't end up uh, having that. Um, I think that the third point that you were probably going to be talking about was around kind of the computational governance and and how that kind of factors in. But um, I don't know if that was where you wanted to talk at that point, or if you want to circle back to that later. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yes, uh, I can say some words about that, but I think the, uh, the point was something else. Uh, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> the com <laughs> uh, so uh, the computation is also something uh, that is pluggable in a squirrel. 
So uh, you can provide, for example, um, a task executor, a local executor, or some other executor to the pipeline. And uh, this is also something that is uh, abstracted away from uh, the pipeline or from the business logic, in a sense. Uh, and it's also flexible so that you can develop locally, maybe. And uh, if you have access to Spark uh, cluster, you can use a Spark to scale your computation. If you have access to the Dask cluster, you can do so. Uh, even if you have your own uh, uh, Kubernetes uh, operator uh, as a cluster, you can even do that. So it's really generic in this sense. Who who would be making that decision? Um, like, it, let's say, I mean, are you asking the domain team to know what computation they should use? Or are you saying that that's more for a team that's running Squirrel, right? That it's the data platform team that's running something like that. And how do you think about this when you're working with your clients directly? Because they're the ones that, you know, you're the ones that, well, I don't know exactly how you bill and all that things, but you're the ones that are paying the bills, right? And so um, you want to give them what they need, but you want to make it um, as as cost efficient, uh, you know, for the job as done as necessary, not just make it cheap, but make it cost efficient, um, you know, that difference there. But like, how do you how do you think about exposing that, or or is that overkill for most teams or all teams or, or things when you think about the domain? Uh, there is a very opinionated way uh, to do things, uh, and uh, this ties also to the infrastructure that is provided to the domain team. But at the end, the domain team should decide which option uh, is more appropriate for their use case. Uh, they, uh, of course, there is always an option to consult with um, maybe more experienced uh, ML ops engineers or data engineers in the team. Uh, but the decision is at the hand of uh, those who actually develop a data product, which is a domain team. So, I mean, are you, but I'm thinking about even the user experience of that. Are you just saying, would you like to use the Dask cluster or the Spark cluster, or would you like to use DuckDB, or would you like to use, you know, all these other different things? Or, and it's just a checkbox, or is it like there's a, a thing that, that lets them understand or that, that tests it out and it says, this is what the cost is going to be, and here's the performance and so you can run a small scale test and see what that looks like or like because again one of the things that because uh, you talked about earlier about abstracting away the data engineering and to me that's a data engineering task of figuring out like what is best for this use case and so uh, you know I've, there have been a couple of people on um, I think it was um, Xavier Gumara Regol who was at Adavinta was saying, you know, every use case, they, they get their own Kafka cluster. And it's like, well, do you really need Kafka? Is that really the most efficient? And it's like, well, we don't have that many data products. So it was, it was okay because we didn't need to really build in 50 different processing capabilities. Once we get to a certain scale or it gets to be um, that there are ones where it's, it's much more cost than it's worth it, um, and, you know, they've got auto scale up and down and all that stuff. So it, even if it's on a daily basis, they can just spin up the, the cluster and it just runs for, you know, 
20 minutes or whatever, and then shuts itself back down. So, but like, is that the type of thing that the domains are capable of making? Like, and yes, it's different for every domain, but like, how do you have that conversation with them to help them choose the right thing? Uh, that that's interesting. Um, I, I think um, it's not that complicated in our case uh, because the provisioning of the infrastructure is also uh, a service provided by a platform team. And uh, yes, it's correct that uh, not all the engines or not all the uh, distributed data processing are made equal and there are cases that you want to prefer one over the other. Um, as you said, it's if they have access to uh, the cluster, they can try it out rather easily. Um, but um, I think in most cases, uh, the main team would go with what, uh, what is easier for them, which uh, totally makes sense uh, because uh, it makes them spend less time developing uh, data pl- pipelines, and it's usually what they prefer. One point is that we also have this scale to zero logic, so that you can run a job which runs, which can scale to uh, a cluster of hundred or thousand nodes, and it runs for ten minutes and is down. Then, so uh, the cost factor is usually uh, not the biggest concern in that regard because it's very elastic. And that, that's a, a thing that a lot of people are kind of struggling with in data mesh is um, everybody's kind of having to build their own platforms. So, I mean, you know, I, I have no idea if, if Squirrel is, is much more designed just for ML side and things, but it sounds like something that people should start to look at for, if not even to, to use, to at least, uh, you know, kind of poke at and rip apart and go, okay, how did they do this? How do we do the scale up, scale to zero? Because... So much of what I'm seeing in data mesh is um, people are just trying to say, we're just going to use the same thing for everything. And it becomes very, very inefficient and, uh, you know, from a cost basis. And it's very efficient, maybe from a ease of use and, and ease of management by the platform team. And but you've got to kind of have that that cost benefit analysis. And, you know, I used to manage AWS costs for a public company. So I, I am. <laughs> A little bit more cost conscious than a lot of people, I think, are. Um, So, yeah, sorry, do you have anything you want to say there? Okay. Um, So we've talked a lot about what we were were planning to around the the platform, but I think one thing um, that we haven't covered yet that is really, really important is evolution and avoiding tech debt, right? Or recognizing that you've you've taken on tech debt without knowing it. Like this has been a big thing in data historically of people have kind of without understanding that they took on tech debt have, have done that. So like, how do you think about avoiding that? And how do you think about, uh, you know, evolving your platform and so that you're not, you don't have 15 you know, oh, we've got these 15 different processing capabilities that anybody can use, and we have to to support all of these 15 different capabilities when we only need three of them. And like, how, how do you think about avoiding it and, and paying it down and, and evolving the platform so that you're kind of constantly moving forward? Uh, I think the last point that you mentioned is, is the key to the answer. So um, 
the platform team is always the case in any software, but uh, that's especially true for the platform, developing of the platform, uh, that you should be very conscious and very critical about what features you include in the platform and what feature you leave out to the user of the platform to, to figure out by, them, by themselves. And uh, a related uh, concern is also what can you reliably abstract which is reoccurring concern, which is a reoccurring problem across different domain teams and what you can't do that. If, for example, uh, there is a very specific use case and uh, one team once has one problem, we are not going to uh, include that in the platform because, uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned, uh, uh, extending the scope of the platform, including many features that maybe you think, why not? Because that's easy. Or that seems easy, but in the long run, uh, what happens is that you're degrading the structures and you're making the platform very difficult to evolve. And um, I think uh, you should really do a very, very strict calculation about what is the cost and what is the benefit of including something into the platform versus leaving it out and doing it once in one team. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think um, uh, we, you know, Blanca Mayayo and um, Pablo uh, Doval said somewhat similar when they were building their platform stuff. Of when they first started out, they were doing very point solutions for customers, and that they anytime a customer was like, "Hey, can you do this for us?" They were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll add this, we'll add this," and then it it became this thing of, okay, how do we? undo those mistakes from the past. And um, I almost wonder, like one thing that that some people have talked about is that you don't have a single platform that, and it kind of sounds like you've got this concept as well because of the decomposable parts and the, that it's not tightly coupled, but mm-hmm. that, you know, you might have a couple of different platforms. And so this can have a weird user experience, but that you know, you need this really advanced capability and the platform team is the one that has to end up supporting it for some reason, you know, instead of the domain team being like, no, you've got to be the one that does it or or whatever, or that you're, you're bringing in an external capability that you're connecting into the platform but that you're not putting as part of the platform itself. And that you can kind of have that, that loosely coupled thing until you can find a way to move them on to, so they can get to, where they need to fast, but that it doesn't upset the long-term balance of things. But it always is that that cost-benefit, right? You really do have to say, I get it, you really need this, but we also, this is going to devolve, this is going to hurt everybody else that's on this and having that honest conversation. It's difficult, but it's it's an honest conversation that we need to have more often. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. <laughs> yeah, and uh, maybe there is one more case, which is, uh, it doesn't happen quite often, but when it does, um, it's it's a really uh, interesting and important point that uh, sometimes maybe you can think of not serving one specific problem and implementing one specific solution for that into your platform, rather analyzing a diverse range of problems that occur in different teams and maybe 
when you talk to different domain teams, uh, they express a problem differently and phrase it differently. And they think there are different problems, but maybe you can solve this, the very same problem uh, with a very generic uh, solution, for example. That's much more difficult than obviously implementing one of solution or serving one kind of problem because then you have to abstract away or kind of provide a very robust solution to serve different problems. Uh, but if that happens to be a problem that is really of uh, business value for you, that really pays off in the long run. Uh, I got one example uh, from Squirrel. So we had a case that we had to deal with uh, text data, with image data, with audio data, and sometimes a combination of uh, all of them maybe connecting to some sort of uh, tabular data. So this multimodal training was um, uh, a huge bottleneck, a huge problem for us at some point. And um, what we ended up doing was uh, developing this, uh, I would say, very opinionated way of saving the data into some shards with some specific. It doesn't really matter the details. What is the, what is the uh, technical implementation details? Uh, but we got uh, all of these different problems uh, solved by uh, a generic solution and one generic solution. And, did, and that really paid off. Yeah, and that's I, I've been asking people, and I and I don't have um, anybody that's really given a great answer because it's the thing is always it depends. But like, how do you have your antenna up for like how do you how do you ingest the information about those use cases? Is it is it specifically only going out there and it, it, extracting that context from the domains, or is there anything that you've built into the platform to say, hey? Anytime somebody is extending anything, we need to know about it. And so then we can go talk to them and figure it out and look for those additional um, mm. needs. Or like, how do you think about like making it so that you are proactive in that instead of, okay, no, 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 as the requests come in and then you go, okay, on the seventh request, okay, this is, this seems to be a problem versus like, let's be proactive about it. How, how do you think mm. about that? It's, it's, it's not an easy question, but... <laughs> It's, it's indeed a very difficult question. And uh, um, yeah, I think uh, one experience that I can share with you here is that um, platform teams sometimes work with data te uh, with domain teams. And uh, from my personal experience, um, so I worked once in a project and had to use the platform that I developed myself. Right, And being in the position of a user of a platform was a quite different experience from being in a position of a platform developer, right? And um, I think uh, probably the only way is to uh, provide a sort of information flow between the domain team and the platform team and uh, I think it's also interesting and useful and important for the platform team uh, to really understand the use cases and the problems in a more practical underground level rather than just a description of a problem from someone who has a problem, right? Um, but as you said, it's, it's really difficult to, to communicate and to ident identify these commonalities and these problems 
Yeah. yeah, Camille Fourier uh, literally put out a, a blog post yesterday, so people will know when this was recorded because of that. But it was it was around a lot of these concepts of and and kind of what you're talking about is that just because you have a captive audience doesn't mean you should treat them as a captive audience, right? These people have to use our platform, therefore they'll use whatever we we put in front of them. Versus like let's go pair program, let's go pair and see like. How are you actually trying to use the platform? Let's have this this regular context exchange. One thing I've talked about as kind of an interesting idea is not only exchanging when somebody needs something, but that you have kind of regular check-ins and you go, hey, we've got this time. We're not going to cancel this simply because there isn't an agenda item. Let's just talk. Like, let's just, because there's going to be interesting things that emerge from this conversation. And as soon as we have that conversation, it it's going to move us forward. So it's it's exactly what you're talking about, though, is is this is not ingrained into the work, right? And we have a very ticket, very sprint-based, very, you know, thing of, okay, um, how do you build in context exchange time when people are like, well, we've got deliverables, like blow that out. And it's like, well, this is the thing that prevents us from being so hand to mouth about exactly what we're trying to do with all of our work versus like, if we can exchange that or what, if this thing were like, what is the thing that if it were possible that you would want to do, you start to ask those questions and all of a sudden you start to see additional patterns of, oh, we, we had a blind spot to this need and it's just that we're not providing it. So they're not asking for it because it would be really complicated for them to build, but it's not that complicated for us because there's 15 different use cases and there is that easier abstraction of like that information flow, but it's not the way at all communication has been done in, inside companies. And even with you as being a, you know, a um, external provider and it's not the way that data work has been done and all of that. So you're co- kind of, revolutionizing things and people go, well, what's the value? You can't show me the value up front. It's like, you'll see it in, in six, nine, 12 months. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an easy conversation to have. Yeah. True. So, um, I think, um, providing different means of um, communication is also important. So if you have a formal channel to uh, gather the requirement from a domain team, um, I think that would that would really help because when people have a problem, they, they can express their uh, problem, explain the problem and the, the possible solution that they would be happy to, uh, to receive. Uh, and then like, one is this formal uh, process of uh, gathering requirements, uh, writing RFCs, for example. Uh, but uh, in my experience, even the uh, more useful one is uh, informal chats and pair programming, as you said, just to really get a feeling of what is the problem. Because uh, it's usually you really understand a problem when you face it and when you try to solve it and it, when you try different things and understand why it doesn't work, not just what should be done, right? And yeah, I think um, this is more an organizational challenge than a technical challenge. Uh, 
yeah uh, to provide yeah to provide a, a healthy relationship and a, a, yeah communication channel that can support the, the evolution of the platform yeah yeah it's 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 amazing how much it all comes back in every conversation to the technology is the hard part except for all of the other parts right <laughs> like technology <laughs> is not an easy thing but at the end of the day so much of this stuff ends up being um, that communication. So I, I did want to um, transition into a little bit around like working with clients around APIs and data contracts and evolution. And like, how do you think about you are providing things to people as an API, they're providing it to you in some way into the driver, almost like an API, right? Like that it's standardized. And so that you're not surprised that all of a sudden things change that they're going to change like exactly what they're providing into the driver, or, or maybe they can make those changes and the driver is just flexible enough to do that. Um, and, and that, you know, as long as they're not making major, major changes, it's not a, a, a big deal, but I would love to hear how you're handling the concepts of versioning and as you know, the the input and the output and and how you think as well about that it's not just the API it is the, the data data contract so people know what they're trying to what they're mm-hmm. going to be dealing with and and what what are you guaranteeing and what aren't you guaranteeing rather than our data will be one hundred percent perfect and you know and complete and everything like that it's just not a, a thing. Mm. Uh, so the data, um, the drivers that I mentioned before is uh, actually not uh, handled by the client, but uh, usually it's uh, a thing that we use to access the client data, the operational uh, data from the clients or, or otherwise any kind of source that they, they might have. Uh, I would uh, like to talk about a bit about the versioning for deep learning uh the, uh, the data that is basically transformed and how we manage the data that might be interesting and also because it's open source and people can look it up that might be um, yeah interesting to know so uh, there is a concept of uh, of catalog which helps us search uh, register the metadata and publish a data product and um, this basically, you can think of it as a catalog, which is a collection of uh, different data sets. And each of them are associated with uh, a specific kind of driver with which you can read from that data source. So basically, the, the schema is still flexible, but uh, you can publish the version of your data, uh, of your uh, training data as the data evolves over time, for example. And um, this, for example, as you rightly mentioned before, the sharing of the uh, machine learning data is usually the consumer of the machine learning uh, data products are usually the same team that produce this data. But for us, it's sometimes not the case. Uh, We have, for example, a research team. Uh, They work on uh, publicly funded research projects, for example, and the data, and they pretty often need to share the data between uh, one project to the other or between uh, different teams. Um, And this data versioning logic is um, fairly useful in in that context that they they can basically use it as sort of semantic versioning where they 
communicate the breaking changes from one version of the data product to the other version of the data product, for example, or uh, for uh, reproducing uh, a past result, you can always refer back or get every single version of the data product that has already been published before. Um, I think uh, it's more tricky uh, to handle the versioning and to um, uh, enforce any sort of uh, checks or, uh, yeah, um, on, on the data that is client-facing for us coming from the outside world, and it's much more difficult to, to enforce anything on that data. And uh, the, the way that um, we usually deal with that data is to have the autom uh, an automated checks on the data that we receive from the outside source. So it's uh, treated as a, even though we know that the, the source is trusted in most cases, it's treated as uh, a source that we expect any sort of crap to be in there, to, to be very explicit. So uh, there are data checks uh, as, a, as part of uh, ML ops or uh, CI CD pipelines, for example, that checks the data regularly as we receive the data and um, generates or trigger an alarm when something is uh, terribly wrong, for example. So the observability of the data that we receive, we receive from the outside world uh, is also one part of handling the data from sources that might not be as reliable as the ones that we handle internally. So you, you said a couple of things in there that I wanted to maybe click into. One was the semantic versioning. Like, um, you talk about with semantics, it might not be that the data itself has changed, like the way that the structure is and things like that, but the meaning might have changed, right? And how do you think about communicating that? And then how do you also think about kind of graceful evolution of your model to not break the API, right? So what you're doing within the actual data product itself might have changed, but what you're sharing to the external if they don't have to care about that, like how do you manage it so that you can make those changes without breaking the API that they're, that they're using to consume, right? You've changed what, what exactly, okay, we're, we're changing the, the weighting or we're changing the, the way that, you know, this source is no longer really useful. So we're going to be changing kind of the internal schema, but what we end up sharing isn't doesn't need to change. Like, how do you think about that? And how do you think about that communication? Um, it's pretty much, I think, uh, left to the domain team to decide what exactly they want to consider as a breaking change. As a platform team, um, I think we provide a way to express the version of the data, to document uh, the schema, to provide a driver to read that data. Uh, but, um, I think there is no set in a store rule what you call a breaking change. And by the semantic versioning, I was mostly referring to the semantic versioning in versioning software, for example, when you uh, increase the patch or a minor version uh, or a major version uh, of the data, of the version of the data indicating that something really changed or some maybe minor change has been done. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, because I had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, uh, Elena Samulova from Evidently AI on, and we were talking about the concept of drift. And like, I think we need to understand how semantic drift is going to affect data. Because like within ML, your drift is, is, in a lot of cases, I think, is very more, it's, it's very much fast evolving. But like when we think about what's actually happening in a domain and that we think about sharing that information about a domain in data mesh that um, we need to be able to detect when what we're sharing isn't complete or the concept has changed, even if the schema itself hasn't changed, right? Like, Mm -hmm. hey, there is something different here. There is something that has changed in the real world. And you have that much better in ML. And we need to figure out how we do that on the data side where we almost communicate that the, you know, it's not the structure, it's not what we're actually sharing, but that the real world around it about what we're talking about within the data has changed. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking for ways to do that. And I haven't found anybody that's actually told me a good way to do it. So um, uh, yes, I, I think that's a very difficult question. And um what I can think of at the moment is uh, leveraging uh, tools that are out there, but then you face a challenge that uh, these tools have very specific contracts, very specific uh, expectation about how your data is stored. And oftentimes you, what, what you really want to do is to be able to connect different pieces within your uh, pipeline, say to connect, to, to check, for example, this version of my model performed poorly with images that have this label or represented are not represented uh, enough in the data set. And um, that that's a very tough problem, to be honest. And uh, I think um, the way that uh, Squirrel is aiming to close this gap, I, I'm not uh, I'm not saying it is the case at the moment, but the general direction that um, I think seems to be a promising direction and Squirrel is trying to go in that direction uh, is pluggability. So to provide a platform in a way that you, not only you can use the pieces on their own, but you can replace the pay pieces or connect to other, other sources, other open source software. Say you have a a library or a service or a library, whatever, that uh, checks your data, train different models and say, okay, there is a concept drift in, in your pipeline and informs you. And connecting that component into your deep learning pipeline is a huge, huge challenge. It's, it's really difficult. And imagine that you have, uh, there is no one single tool, you have uh, human in the loop also. You have labelers people who manually label the data and you have to have a feedback loop coming from your alerting system, from your performance monitoring. And that would also go back feedback into your uh, potentially model training pipeline. So providing uh, all of these capabilities uh, really require a, a sort of structured way to connect these pieces together. There are solutions out there that aim to uh, sell or provide a a comprehensive platform uh, for handling everything end to end. 
I don't think that uh, it, it might be applicable to very specific use cases. And it, I suppose it works very well when your use case falls into that very specific category. Uh, but for us, we should really be flexible. We don't know what problem, what kind of modality, what kind of model, what kind of labeling we will have to deal tomorrow, right? This is something that we, for us, it's of, uh, of a very high, it's a very high stake uh, decision for us to be able to use the uh, open source tools. And everything in data is is one-to-one connection points. And I've talked about there needs to be kind of, uh, you know, the internet standards or whatever for connecting data tooling. So you, you need to rebuild your semantics on top of it, but that there's a common communication way that, you know, kind of, I hate to use the word fabric because then it gets into data fabric or whatever, but you think about the OSI model. I don't know if you're familiar of the OSI model of how things communicate with each other, but like it's a layer one to seven and like layer one is literally your, you've got a, a thing on your computer or on your modem or whatever, and how it puts the, the zeros and the ones onto the actual like cable and then, you know, there's the Mac routing and then there's the kind of the backbone routing of, you know, Mac is how it gets out of, of your thing onto the actual kind of general internet backbone and then the, how it gets routed throughout the internet. And then layers four through seven is all the software and application on top of it. We kind of need that with data so that we can make things much more pluggable, but nobody's going to develop that because then it makes, it means that their software is less sticky, right? And so everybody's like, why would I want to do that? And it's like, well, because it makes you far more applicable, but only if all the other people play with you as well, because otherwise you've developed the standard and nobody, so yeah, it's 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 a pipe dream. I don't think it's ever going to happen or it'll it'll take another decade before it does. But um, well, Ali, we, we've talked about a lot of really interesting things. I think this is going to be helpful. And I think a lot of people will probably look at, at Squirrel, you know, even if they're not doing for ML, um, that they'll want to look at how you've built a lot of this stuff. So I think this has been very helpful. But is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should have or any way that you'd kind of want to wrap up the uh, the general conversation here? Um, yes, I think um, there are lots of other stuff that uh, we can uh, still cover, but the time is limited. Maybe as the... Uh, Last point, I uh, want to um, give uh, an expeculation of a data mesh as a concept itself and uh, how it might develop in the future or what of the directions that uh, from the perspective or from the problem that we are uh, facing now seems like a general enough cases that, that has or someone may at some point come up with a solution for. Um, so one of them is adding semantic to the data. So um, we are uh, basically fighting the problems that the centralized data warehouses have, and we all know uh, the problems very well. And we are replacing it with a distributed mesh of data products, right? But uh, the logical, the central problem is still there. What do you do if you have semantics, if you have ontologies into your, uh, in different domains, 
that are not compatible with each other. You still have to solve that somehow. And one maybe general uh, or one obvious solution is to have aggregation domains so that you resolve these issues and provide uh, maybe a sort of um, aggregated, more useful, more um, yeah, uh, cleaned, let's say, data to the downstream consumers. Uh, but maybe there are other ways. Maybe if we think about uh, a federated uh, layer that can provide a query on top of the distributed data platforms, if we think about ways to give uh, meaning to the data in a way that we can build ontologies out of the pieces of the data products, right? These are, uh, in my mind, very interesting directions to explore. And um, I'm not aware of any uh, existing effort and uh, I don't see many conversation happening, conversations happening around these topics in the data mesh community. I think we're early days. And so I think that's like, cause I've had a couple of these conversations as well, mm -hmm. people saying nobody's talking about it. And it's like, well, we're trying to figure out, like we're trying to figure out how to, how to crawl. And that's a little bit more of a walk or a run problem. <laughs> but yes, I totally agree. This is something that needs to. Yeah, I, I, well, and not all information from each domain needs to interoperate with every other domain. But yes, a, a big challenge has been, okay, we're now getting these zoomed in, very high quality, high context pictures of each domain. How does it all play across the uh, mesh? And what some people are saying is that you you know, data scientists may be able to go in and find a lot more data, but you really only expose information when there is a, a use case that you're not trying to expose all information to everybody so they can combine it across every domain. But it's still, eh, we're, we're, we're still early days for figuring it out. But um, so again, this has been then a, a great conversation. I'm sure people want to follow up. We'll drop a link to Squirrel and that people can check out in the show notes. Um, but where, uh, where's the best place to follow up with you? Where do you want, like, where do you want people doing that? What do you want them following up about? Uh, yeah, um, I'm active on LinkedIn. So that would be the best place to connect, to have conversation. If there is any follow-up topic, if you're interested, especially in, uh, data mesh, uh, as applied to machine learning problems, uh, I'm super excited to, to talk about these topics. Okay, great. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Alireza Sahofi from Morantics Momentum. You can find a link to the Squirrel Platform's GitHub and his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But 
I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.